As I just said, this past week I was in Tucson, Arizona for the General Synod meeting of the Reformed Church in America. What a beautiful place. The Catalina Mountains were surrounding us. The weather was perfect. In so many ways, the city was standing out to me as unique. But one thing I observed that made it feel like most metro areas around the country was a tremendous number of people begging around the major roads leading into the, into the town. It's always a reminder for me that things are not as they should be. And of course, first of all, I'll say I'm absolutely thankful that those in need are allowed to be there. Something even less what it should be would be if they weren't. But I wish there was a more complete way to feed and share and care so that street corners are not the best we can do to communally provide. It didn't take too many days there before I, I started seeing the same people, not just broad brush first sightings when you get to a new place, you know. There was one woman in particular who stood out to me. It was hard to miss her. She was an older woman in a rickety wheelchair, not a power chair or nothing like that, just a rickety chair. And it was clear that someone younger sitting by her who also looked like they'd had a hard time had pushed her out there and gotten her set up. She held the same sign each day that I saw her. Anything helps when you're hungry. I was in a bus with closed windows or a passenger in the back of a car. All I could do was stare. Here in New Brunswick, you can get used to seeing the same person holding the same tattered piece of cardboard day in and day out. Homeless veteran or please help, I'm hungry. People have patterns to express need when they're homeless and on the street. And I've learned to appreciate the dance. Hold the sign, catch an eye, don't be demanding, be appreciative for anything given. There's a whole routine of body language from the person asking and the person considering or decidedly not considering to open up their wallet. There's a routine sometimes when you are desperate and the routine allows you to survive. But what if survival isn't enough? What if it isn't a lofty enough goal? I imagine Bartimaeus, who we're told was a blind man, was a recognized figure outside the gates of Jericho. His condition, his location, his ask, his people's almsgiving, it was all part of the fabric of life on the edge of that town. If you read commentaries, they comment a lot on his name. His name means son of Timaeus, and some say, look at this, the man doesn't even have his own name, but I don't think that that's what that's about. It's similar to saying Timothy Jr., or uh, Timaeus Jr., a totally appropriate name in Jesus' day, right? I think it's important that he's named as somebody's son. He's rooted in a family. I do wonder where his family is now. Did they help him get set up each morning on the corner, or was he like so many of the blind people in our lives, i.e. Willie, perfectly capable of doing most things on his own? Or were they gone now? Who knows? Timaeus comes from a noun that means value or honor, but also the same root word can mean unclean. I'm sure his family, when they named him at birth, named him son of value and honor. I wonder over the years as people saw his blindness and saw him begging day in and day out, if in their minds they thought of him in that second way, son of uncleanliness, Bartimaeus. Remember, there were first century assumptions that illness or disease, blindness or deafness, were the result of one's personal sin or that of their family. For whatever reason, in Mark's gospel, he is named. And being named at all is very significant. In fact, if I read this right this week, Bartimaeus is, other than Lazarus, the only person who experiences a miraculous healing 
who is given a name. We hear about Jairus' daughter, so there's like kind of a name, but the daughter isn't named, right? I think it's significant, and I'll come back to this naming thing later. This particular day that we read about in Mark 10 begins like a day like any other, but it ended very differently. And I want to imagine with you about what might have happened. I want to speculate. I want to extrapolate a story that to me seems to be true. Bartimaeus was sitting on the dusty ground just outside the city gate in his spot, his spot where he always sat and where he'd see lots of passers-by. He was quietly asking for coins, asking for bread, whatever he could garner from those who would take pity that day. But as the day grew on, he started hearing from people who exited by his gate that Jesus of Nazareth was in town right then. Jesus had entered the city from the north gate. Bartimaeus was as I imagine it, at the south gate. And they were talking with each other enthusiastically, and as they shared excitedly, he experienced, Bartimaeus experienced, something changing, not just in their conversation, but also in their actions, for they started sharing with him more generously. There was something different about their reality. More coins than usual entered his plate that day as people went away from the city. The plate was growing heavy as people were moved by Jesus' teaching and engagement. People who at best usually tossed a small coin stopped to say hello and they left more dough. People who had dismissed him for years showed a little more love. What was going on in there in Jericho? Who was this visitor who was changing the unchangeable, moving the immovable? Bartimaeus even overheard that it wasn't just the commoners in Jericho, but even the chief tax collector Zacchaeus who was having a turnaround kind of day. Mark doesn't tell us that story. All we hear is about Bartimaeus, who engages the folks after they leave Jericho. Jericho is like a passing moment in Mark. But in Luke, there's this total turnaround story about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. So maybe that's why some folks are leaving the town before Jesus that day, because Jesus is now hanging out at the tax collector's house for, for some food during the day. But they're hearing about this, that this man who hoarded wealth and created trouble was turning it over now and making promises, giving it back to the people. That kind of activity was going on there that day in Jericho. Maybe that was what was leading people to share. I truly believe that Bartimaeus must have experienced something that day as he sat there. Somehow Jesus inside the city was changing the heart of the city in a way that was changing their hearts toward him in his weakness, in his need, on the edge of the city. Remember in times of old, it was the walls of Jericho that came tumbling down as Joshua and his army marched around in prayer. And now 1,500 years later, the physical walls were standing strong, but something of the walls that kept Bartimaeus outside the walls was coming down. Christ's presence was changing things dramatically for everybody, and it was impacting this usually forgotten one in the crowd. Maybe it wasn't just the increased number of coins that Bartimaeus took in that day. Maybe it wasn't just the news about Zacchaeus. Maybe Bartimaeus overheard people, too, quoting Jesus' stump speech, which he surely said in every town, Blessed are those whose spirits are beaten down. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Maybe he overheard, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Did he overhear the last shall be first and the first shall be last? Did Bartimaeus overhear that Jesus was, was healing people too in Jericho, showing great love and care for those who were brought to him? 
we are told very intentionally, I believe, that Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus and his followers happened as they were leaving Jericho. It's key. Bartimaeus had a day of experiencing the transformation brought about by Jesus before Jesus passed his way near the end of the day. And by then, by then Bartimaeus knew exactly what name he wanted to call him. By then, Bartimaeus knew that his little nuanced begging dance, his non-pushy glance, his ask for a coin here or a little bread there was not the way to talk to this one. This one was different. This one was Joshua or Jesus, Savior. Or this one was actually better than, more than Joshua, who through prayer brought down the walls of Jericho. This one must be the Messiah, the promised son of David. As soon as Bartimaeus realized Jesus was within earshot, he started yelling, Jesus, Savior, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd who'd spent the day stretched and transformed by Jesus' teaching was still concerned about decorum. Stop it! Bartimaeus, what's gotten into you? But he shouted even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the text says Jesus stood still. He stopped in his tracks. Up until that moment in the Gospel of Mark, almost no one had called Jesus a messianic name, a savior name. Calling someone son of David is a messianic title. The Messiah to reign was to be an eternal son of David, and of his kingdom there would be no end. The demons called Jesus messianic kinds of names, the Holy One of God, and Jesus shut their voices immediately. And then at the end of chapter 8, when Jesus was alone, completely in private, with his closest disciples, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And it's clearly the first time that any of them make this kind of reference. And Jesus' response was to say, do not tell anyone that. He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone. Mark's gospel is all about keeping Jesus' messianic identity secret as long as he possibly can. But it all changes with Bartimaeus. Jesus doesn't order him to be secretive when he makes a completely direct messianic claim, son of David. He doesn't stop him or correct him. Imagine, it's the first time we hear Jesus claimed as Messiah of God in a crowd of people. Up until Bartimaeus, he is Jesus of Nazareth. Up until Bartimaeus, he is son of a carpenter. Up until Bartimaeus, he is a teacher. He is rabbi. He is healer. But he is not Messiah. He is not named as Messiah by the crowd, but now he is. Something happened in the city that day that transformed the behavior of a people who were passing through gates where a blind man was sitting and begging. Something happened that let that man, Bartimaeus, know that the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world, the one who would transform society and conquer all things and bring heaven to earth, was in their community. Jesus and Bartimaeus interact. What do you want me to do for you? Rabuni, I want to see. He just met him, and already he's calling him this very familiar, personal, almost intimate name, my teacher. Only Mary Magdalene at the garden after the resurrection, when she recognized Jesus, uses Rabuni. In a matter of minutes, Bartimaeus has named the grandeur of Jesus' identity and has named just how intimate and personal and how loving and connected this one is, a Messiah who cares 
a Messiah who comes close. Bartimaeus, before his eyes even work for him to see, has the clearest vision of any disciple in the New Testament. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight. And Bartimaeus went all right, went with Jesus. He followed him on the way. Bartimaeus' story does not sound like a healing story to me. It sounds rather like a call story of a disciple. It sounds like Jesus calling the fishermen from their boats and nets by name. Peter, James, John, Andrew. It sounds like Jesus calling Matthew from the tax booth. It sounds like that. But this disciple, who was called and left his cloak and his plate of coins and followed Jesus on the way, he joined late. This disciple joined only 20 miles to go until Jerusalem. 20 miles from the time that Jesus would take on the Roman authorities and the temple elite. 20 miles from him getting into it with everyone after he emptied the temple and cleansed it. 20 miles from the Garden of Gethsemane. 20 miles from Calvary. This disciple joined late. But in the course of a day, without eyes to see... He had become more aware of the power of a Messiah than any of the other disciples who'd been traveling with Jesus for months or longer. Friends of God, hear the good news for us today. Hear the gospel. There is so much hope and promise in this text. First, we, the church and the city, in our relative stability, but with so much that we accept that is broken and less than, need to invite Jesus into our communities to teach us, challenge us, heal us, and transform us. We've got to encounter Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in ways that lead, us, lead to us living differently for the people on the edge of town. If those on the edges don't see a transformation, that Jesus, then Jesus actually passing through our, our Jericho is questionable. And secondly, as Jesus visits us and transforms us, we ought to pass through the gates of all our church and our towns and cities and classrooms and offices and communities slowly. For the gates are where those who are outcast, those who are shunned, those who are hurting, those who are poor, those who are beaten down, those who are left behind, embarrassed, ashamed, that's where they are. By the gates is where they reside. And we must pass through the gates slowly, slow enough to notice those who Jesus would have us notice, to be more generous with those who deserve the repair offered in a redeemed world. And when we move slowly enough, and when the good news of Christ's transformation and the tangible signs of a new sacramental level of care is offered, let's listen for the voices of those who have been marginalized, but who are now empowered to claim that a Messiah is alive and transforming the world. And let's not, let's not get shocked and try to keep that voice quiet. Let's not try for decency and order because maybe, just maybe, the Messiah who is working slowly on those in the city is working faster and clearer for those on the margins. And maybe they are to lead the rest of us down the road to the new Jerusalem. Maybe our church, maybe our Highland Park, maybe our Jericho is just too small. Maybe Bartimaeus with new eyes is to lead the rest of us to have better vision and greater clarity as we rush to the temple to turn over tables, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and visit the prisoner and to care for the widow and her distress. Maybe Bartimaeus is to lead us to spaces of death and resurrection. Today I'm feeling like I want to follow Bartimaeus on the way. 
for he's in step with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and I want to be in step with Jesus too. If I ever go back to Tucson, I'm stopping the bus. I will step out of the bus and give the lady in the wheelchair $100, and I'll say, listen, I don't know exactly why I'm doing this other than the fact that Jesus just visited me and told me I'm supposed to participate in the redistribution of wealth. I hope it helps a little bit. I, my guess is she'd thank me and look at me like I'm a little bit cuckoo, and she'd be right. I don't expect one strangely generous gift to have the power to change the trajectory of someone's world, but I just feel compelled to do it anyway after reading this text this week. It's not the same, though, to do something like that, to do one-offs like that. It was the collective work of Jesus' audience in Jericho that led to the transformation of Bartimaeus in the course of a day. He watched his whole world go through a major revolution of values and experiences in a 12-hour period, maybe? Can we start living as a transformed Jericho? Can we watch our walls fall? Can we see those on the edges take in the new boundaries or lack thereof that gives new shape to our places and spaces? I hope we can. Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on us. What do you want me to do for you? We want to see like Bartimaeus, and then with new vision, we want to follow you on your way. Okay, Christ Jesus says to us, I can arrange that starting today. Thanks be to God. Amen.